0: chocolate 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 from dame cacao i'm max gandy and this is chocolate on the road the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world so let's hit the road south korea isn't physically an island nation but in terms of its historically isolationist policies and homogeneous population, it might as well be. Located on a peninsula off the eastern coast of China, Korea's only physically shared border is the one with North Korea. It's better known as the DMZ, or Demilitarized Zone. And for the last three years, I've lived about 100 miles from the DMZ, in a country of 50 million people, reachable only by air and by sea. So the quasi-island nation of South Korea seems like the perfect country to cap off a season of islands. In season one, we've explored chocolate culture on Japan, Hawaii, Hong Kong, and the Philippines. If you've missed any of those episodes, I highly recommend going back now and adding them to your queue. Each country has a very different relationship with cacao. Whether they grow it or just consume it, or in Korea's case, use it to communicate. Kakao Talk is by far Korea's most popular communication platform. At last check, it was downloaded on over 90% of Korea's cell phones. The Kakao app can also be used to call a taxi, shop online, or even order dinner. The name is spelled K-A-K-A-O, and I've never been able to find any information on why it was named Kakao. But it's safe to say that if you were to mention Kakao in Korea, People would think of their phones before they'd think of a chocolate bar. That's not to say that Koreans have no idea what the cacao fruit is, or that it's used to make chocolate. On the contrary, the most popular chocolate brand in Korea actually features a cacao pod graphic in the upper right-hand corner of each bar. That brand is Ghana Chocolate, so named in honor of the country which produces a fifth of the world's cacao. For more context,
1: this is Ed Kim, Korean. But I live in the Malaysia last 10 years, and now I'm the local chocolate maker.
0: When you were still living in Korea, what were some of the premium chocolate brands, and what were some of the basic, most popular chocolate brands in the country?
1: Uh, well, most of the famous or popular chocolate in Korea is uh, the product from the Lotte confectionery. For example, Ghana chocolate. All of us, you know, the, when he was a student, every young boy always preparing Ghana chocolate for Valentine's Day or Christmas Day for gift to girlfriends. And even when he was a grown-up, still, you know, the, in Valentine's Day was some, you know, the white day, so-called. Also, we had to prepare some ABC chocolate, after then, maybe when I was a student, the kisses were parallel rocher.
0: And for Koreans,
1: the premium chocolate means kodiba automatically.
0: This evolution of chocolate, as explained by Eddie, is actually a perfect cultural timeline for Korea. Chocolate was originally introduced to the mainstream Korean public via American soldiers. Following both World War II and the Korean War, just five years later, soldiers would hand out chocolates to the local kids. For over three decades after the end of the Korean War, the country completely isolated itself. They imported almost no finished products, forcing locals to produce most everything domestically. Among others, this led to Latte Confectionery's Ghana Chocolate brand, as Eddie mentioned earlier. Other dominating latte chocolate products include ABC Chocolates and Pepero. When Eddie was a kid back in the 1970s and 80s, Korea was still in its own world. Imported goods were a memory from a different era, so domestic producers designed things to look imported. Putting English on packaging and naming a brand after a faraway place were ways that chocolate's reputation was heightened. Then Valentine's Day, another American import, came to Korea. Women were expected to buy men chocolate, and on White Day, just a month later, men were expected to reciprocate but with white chocolate. Later on, seeing how well Valentine's Day worked, the Latte Corporation invented Pepero Day. Pepero is a super thin cracker dipped in chocolate, basically the Korean version of Japan's pocky snacks. So Latte declared eleven eleven to be pepero day, since eleven eleven looks like sticks of pepero. Sales have soared. When Eddie got to university, some imports finally started entering the country. Hershey's Kisses and Ferrero Rocher were the new fancy chocolates on the market. Eventually, Godiva opened up in Korea, introducing the idea of premium chocolates. Much more recently, micro-batch chocolate makers have entered the local market. These makers take fermented and dried cacao beans from distinct origins and craft them into fine chocolate bars with unique flavors. But these tiny makers have come upon two costly problems. First is the legacy of domestic chocolate as cheap chocolate. And then the idea of premium chocolates being around twice as expensive as regular chocolates. Not five to seven times as expensive. But there is an industry in Korea with a similar divide. Coffee.
1: On those days... By suddenly in Korea, the specialty coffee is booming. So why just only coffee? Because, you know, the cocoa is also more interested item. So for the first time, I introduced about the Bintuba chocolate in Korea.
0: Shortly after Eddie entered the Malaysian cocoa market, he decided to bring his newfound knowledge back to Korea. In that time, around 2010, the shops of Korean chocolatiers were still relatively new and there were no bean-to-bar chocolate shops. So when Eddie visited Korea to teach about the origins of chocolate, most of his students were chocolatiers. One of those chocolatiers was Hanbin Emily pa.
2: I am a Hanbin Beg And doing, uh, making chocolate, bean bar chocolate in Korea since 2016. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I'm a bean chocolate maker.
0: Hanbin spent two years studying bean-to-bar chocolate with Eddie, and then she made the jump to New Zealand. There, she spent almost two years working at Wellington Chocolate Factory, moving back to Korea in 2016 to open up her own shop. What was it like when you were sourcing cacao at the beginning versus now, three years later?
2: Mm. Hmm.
0: How how was it at the start, like three years ago? How did you find cacao?
2: There was only one importer <laughs> when I was when I started this business trip to bar but now I can choose um importers also the beans. They started to bring uh beans from very many countries. Now it's much better than before. But the problem is price I think. Yeah, it is still um, expensive in Korea to buy the beans. I remember at some
0: point it was like each maker was importing one origin of cacao and they were like selling it to the other makers. Like at one point, Chocodongi mm. had all the Vietnamese cacao yeah. and then de Bar had all the Ecuadorian cacao. Venezuelan was Pichoco. <laughs> right. Like... How how did that dynamic,
2: how did that work? Uh, mm, Yeah, that happened last year. And I think even if the beans uh, are all the same, but the makers are different, so the outcome is very different, I mean. So
0: you opened... The chocolate factory we're in now, Public chocolate in mm-hmm. 2016. Mm-hmm. So what have been the problems you've encountered as you try to grow the business over the last three years?
2: Over the last three years. Been to Bar is quite new, still new in Korea. So people really don't know about it. And then um, people just used to buy the chocolates from the supermarkets made with many ingredients in it. Yeah. And then every time the customers came in to my place and then ask about the chocolates, and I answer, um, like this. So when you buy the chocolate at the supermarket, just um, at the back side, you can see the, all the ingredients, the little ingredients that's not good for you. So um, you, can choo- you can always choose what kind of chocolate you buy but uh i just tell you that these bars i used only two ingredients from uh made from organic cacao and then organic cane sugar what is
0: korean chocolate consumption like like back when you were a chocolatier like in 2012 2013 mm-hmm. what was chocolate consumption like how did you think of
2: chocolates chocolate only for valentine's day <laughs> yeah and it's still, still the same like this, this year too. Um, in Korea, the coffee market is very big, you know that, right? Mm. So coffee people try to um, make Binto bar chocolates and then they are, I think they are getting into the Binto bar markets now. So, people are getting just started to know about the bar. Also, from the TV. You know, Suyo You don't know that one. Mm. There are some people around the table, (laughs) one circle table, and then they um, travel for the subject. So, for example, this week, uh, we are going to know about the bar. Then, each people go... Pichaco and then the other places like that, mm-hmm. and then we they get together and then talk about it. How was the the shop you visited? Mm. Mm. so it was a month ago on the t v show the Pichaco was there. Right. People just started to know about the binto bar, and then I think we need more time, maybe two or three years more time to yeah. Understand
0: them. To educate people. To, yeah. Yes, yes. P. Choco, the chocolate maker interviewed for that program, is another more established chocolate brand in Korea. But their story of how they started a chocolate company in Seoul, South Korea, actually began in their home city of Caracas, Venezuela. How did you get into the, the chocolate industry?
3: Um, it was kind of a, it was kind of an accident, I guess. I was in Venezuela before and politically, economically, just for young people, it didn't make sense to stay there, getting very hectic. So me and my brother, John, we were trying, we were planning to go and we thought about Korea. We didn't want to completely lose contact with Venezuela, even though we were leaving. And one of the things that came up was chocolate. It was either chocolate or rum. And initially it was just a exportation distribution type of idea. But, um, we settled upon chocolate and we thought it was, it was going to be more interesting. And we had also people that we knew already that were in chocolate and we went more into chocolate as we learned about it. As we came to Korea, that's, that's those are, First, we'll attempt to do something with chocolate.
2: I should
0: mention here that Dan and his brother John are Kyopol, which means foreign born Korean. So when they moved to Korea, they already had the passports and spoke some Korean, not to mention looking Korean. But that doesn't mean everything was smooth sailing. When you were looking at the Korean market before you decided to fully move over here, what made you think, okay, premium chocolate? It- definitely has a bigger future here than premium rum. But what made you look at the Korean market and say, okay, I think, I think it's ready?
3: Right. We, like, we didn't know anything about Korea, but uh, one of the things that we noticed when we moved to Korea was how consumers were really willing to choose quality over, over price. And especially we saw that in the wine industry, and we also saw it in the coffee industry. We saw how many, how Korean culture moved from very uh, instant supermarket bulk coffee to very specialty, specialty single-origin coffees. Because of that, we saw maybe there's a potential also to single-origin chocolate and mean-to-bar chocolate. And that's how we decided to focus our marketing towards that side. We, so we were thinking of distributing chocolate called El Rey from Venezuela. We we knew someone in, in El Rey and that could uh, provide us to Korea. That's how it started. And we went on foot to coffee shops, to different types of uh, boutique shops. And we also met with people that could potentially be interested in distributing this uh, brand. It wasn't very successful at first. People didn't know El Rey and what single-origin chocolate meant. Like they knew it was chocolate and they tasted it; it was good, but they really didn't know what the difference was from already available chocolate. So at first it was it was a lot of uh, knocking on doors, trying to see if we can distribute it. And in the end, we just decided people are not going to understand what good chocolate is unless we actually do or show them what we can do with it. And that's when we started to, we decided to change from just distributing the chocolate to maybe making something with it. And that way introducing people to it, By making different things. That's when we started searching for different chocolatiers and people who could, uh, work with us and partner with us. And that's how Pichoco was born.
0: And so when did you start bringing in Venezuelan cacao?
3: So, right. So, we started with the uh, El Rey single-origin Coverture, and through that we were able to kind of test the waters of, uh, in Korea. And we definitely saw an interest in the, in high-quality chocolate. And so we brought in samples at first, and we tested it right from the beginning, but we brought in a bigger amount, maybe around two years after. That's when we brought in a bigger bulk for us to use and to, maybe make available to people who are interested in making into bar chocolate in Korea.
0: Those are the same beans, two Venezuelan origins, which have been used in the country for two years. Hanbin used them in her lineup until just recently. When the brothers were sourcing cacao, they actually made a video about some of the process, which they screened in both Venezuela and Korea. Their goal went from bringing Venezuela to Korean chocolatiers, to helping build a completely new industry in their parents homeland.
3: I mean, anyone can come into the shop, but also we want to keep it as a showroom. So, for those coffee shops or for those businesses that are that are interested in purchasing bean to bar chocolate or a uh, single origin couverture chocolate, we invite them over to our shop and have them taste and have mini tasting session th- at the shop. So, we have the shop as a It's a regular cafe for people to come in and in and out, but also the idea of having the cafe is also to have it as a kind of a showroom, as a place to promote being to bar for, to other coffee shops and pastry shops or boutique shops, things like that.
0: So culturally, when you're advertising to single Koreans, not necessarily businesses, what have you found Mm -hmm. to be the most effective ways To reach the Korean market?
3: Um, so for us up to now, there has been a kind of a barrier, at least for, for in our case, for me and for my brother, John, uh, just because we, we didn't grow up in Korea and there's some cultural stuff and language wise, we're not very, like completely 100% fluent in Korean. The best way, or the most effective way that we have found, is just making good, good chocolate. I think there's a certain limit to explaining something, especially food, with words. And for us, I think we explain somewhat with our words and you know what the difference is and describe the whole making process of it. But in the end, I think they just have to try it. They have to eat it, taste it, and do you know different comparison with their own. Senses.
0: Dan and John may not feel a hundred percent comfortable with Korean, but they do speak three languages fluently, so they're not too badly off. In a country with so much pressure to conform to social expectations and carry on this cultural legacy of Koreanness. It's definitely been the outside perspectives which have pushed a lot of the big changes in the chocolate industry here. Hanbin studied in New Zealand, Dan grew up in a very different country, and Eddie's dedicated the last 10 years of his life to uplifting Malaysian cacao farmers. These days, it's been influenced from another outside industry that has continued to grow interest.
1: Maybe 2014 or 2015, by suddenly so many coffee makers also you know the blushy into the this business so now in, as you know in korea there are many pintoba chocolate makers
0: there are indeed over a dozen chocolate makers in korea as of mid 2019 several of which just opened up in the last 12 months but any knowledge they may have of coffee roasting and production is sadly insufficient for chocolate making So you think they know a basic amount about evaluating beans when they arrive, but they need Mm -hmm. more understanding of how the beans become good beans or high quality beans.
1: I'm also, you know, the Bintuba chocolate maker. Means, you know, the Bintuba chocolate maker always, we have to explain about technique and everything. So final result should be a chocolate. That means even though some low-quality cocoa, we know how to make a better, you know, the flavor chocolate. Uh, we have to do our best. But to me, sometimes, you know, they just only excuse. So in my opinion, we need to more work hard.
0: Jason Zhang spent 10 years living in China when he was a bit younger. It gave him an important gap in his life in Korea. Coming back at 25, not only was he a completely different person, but the country he left was a very different place from the country he came back to. This includes the explosion of fine quality imported foods, which were almost completely unavailable in the mid-90s, and a growing market for buying them. But it was another decade before he learned anything about fine chocolate. So how did you get into chocolate in the first place? How did you learn about bean to bar chocolate? Uh Miss
4: Kanako in Japan, she brought all of this good chocolate to Korea and had a seminar and I paid for that, paid 20,000
3: or something.
0: Like 20 to, bucks.
4: Yeah, 20 bucks to attend the seminar and I just I was just like um yeah. I I just fell in Floored. love. It. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I began to getting into this industry and in this chocolate and then I for more study went to visit Eddie Kim. Yeah.
0: So what what is the timeline of learning about chocolate and then getting into a business involving importing chocolate um, and selling chocolate?
4: Um September uh 2017 that was when I met Kanako and December 2017 was when I went to uh, Vietnam to learn more about chocolate from Mr. Eddie Kim. And then January of 2018, the Andi has begun.
0: You are really just jumping on this. Yeah,
4: yeah, I am. I am very. I was just like, before this, uh, September, before September of 2017, I didn't even know what Bintu Bar is.
0: These days, Jason runs Andiamo Chocolate, a bean-to-bar chocolate importer in Korea, one of only two such shops in the entire country, both of which opened in 2018. He's one of very few people who've had the chance to offer customers dozens of unique chocolate bars from distinct origins, flavors, types, and even just packaging.
4: I recommend them to taste, um, for example, Madagascar and Jamaica to let them feel the difference of the beans. And they will ask, are you sure that there is nothing in this chocolate to make this difference? And then they will consider buying a bar because at that point, they find it very um, interesting. yeah,
0: And like unique. Yeah. yeah, oh, I've never tasted chocolates that taste different from each other.
4: And acidic taste, those kind of... So people usually like Madagascar. That's why I'm selling so many Akisun's Madagascar 75.
0: And in Korea, do people tend to prefer the white milk or dark chocolates?
4: Dark, for sure. I mean, I, I didn't... I expected that Korean people will like the milk chocolate more, but I found out that many are expecting dark and special um, taste like Madagascar or a nutty flavor or um, like raspberry flavor in mm-hmm. the chocolate they w- willing to find that flavor and they're expecting them to uh, from from bean to bar chocolate but only those people who know what bean to bar chocolate is
2: yeah,
0: yeah. they want the cacao to like throw the flavors in mm, their face right right the differences mm. but how do most people react when they learn about bean to bar chocolate
4: I've been giving them Madagascar for the first time. Usually when people come, I would give them Madagascar for the first time. After some while, I decided not to do that, but to give them Jamaica. Because when I gave them Madagascar randomly, um some people would go, oh. Something.
0: I think it's gone bad.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's off But what the? So and I decided not to do that for the first time and I just gave them Jamaica and they will say, oh, it's it's very um nutty and very good. Yeah, it's good. Dark chocolate. But so what? It's good. Very good. But I'm not paying twelve bucks for this. And then I give them this is Madagascar and it's going to be very different from that. And then I give them the Madagascar.
0: Yeah. It's like a scale and you have to show them both sides but you start at the side they're more accustomed to.
4: And then, um, exciting thing is that people, more people choose Madagascar than Jamaica when they mm. first taste Jamaica.
0: They want something special. Special, yes. Mm. So, what are the most popular flavor additions in Korea? Because you sell a fair number of bars with like different flavors added.
4: Right. Um... Should I talk about the brand and stuff?
0: Yeah, you can if you want.
4: Um, sourdough and sea salt from Pump Street. And then Ekison's black pepper also.
0: His black pepper bar? Yep. That's popular? It is. In Korea?
4: Yep. You sure? Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, um, it's not as popular as plain Madagascar or it's not as popular as sourdough and sea salt, Mm -hmm. but it is beyond my expectation.
0: Is one of the more popular bars, right?
4: Dr- uh, among the uh, inclusion.
0: Why do you think that is? They
4: eat it with, uh, with wine, or whiskey because they drink a lot at home.
0: Okay. It it's very surprising though. They think that far ahead. Because I feel like in the US, most people, when they buy a nice bar of chocolate, if they just buy one, they're like, all right, I'm going to eat most of this now and mm-hmm. maybe save some. Mm-hmm. But Koreans will buy it and then take it home and like have plans for it. Yeah,
4: right, right.
0: <laughs> wow. And Forward thinking.
4: And this is the worst thing of the Korean market. I found out that people are eating chocolate maybe a bite or two at once like the the whole bar is not making sense to this to us i mean i i can eat the whole bar but normal people they would never finish one bar in let's a say week. in an hour they never it's going to last for about like like a month Ugh. and they ask me how should i keep during the summer and
0: so the All of the bars that you've imported have pretty nice packaging as well. Mm. What kinds of interest have people shown in the packaging does Does anyone ever buy a bar without tasting it at all?
4: yeah, of course, of course they do
0: what What do you think makes them or what do you know makes them buy those bars?
4: Mm. People would select for the gift um yeah, to their girlfriend. Mostly to their girlfriend. Like guys, men, they use a lot of money without tasting it. But they would never buy the chocolate by tasting. I mean, some people would do that. When they taste the pepper or the 100 Madagascar, Mm. they would take some chocolate for their whiskey or wine. But just chocolate itself, they. I found out that Korean men, they... Do not enjoy the chocolate for. Um,
0: that makes me so sad.
4: <laughs> it makes me so sad too. But women, there, there are still yeah. yeah, half of them are women, so it's okay. I mean,
0: well, apparently more than half the people who are eating it are women. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
4: right. He's getting something. So out of it. guys will buy the packaging.
0: When chocolate makers are selling their own chocolates, consumers are trying a more limited slice of the market the role of chocolate stores like Jason's is often understated. Imported fine chocolates bring in flavors representative of faraway places, origins that may be harder to find, and a healthy dose of context. When consumers are able to try some of the best chocolates from around the world, they're able to see their own local chocolate makers more clearly. They're able to see that this craft chocolate thing is happening all over the world. And in this case, imported is good, but that local can be just as good, if not better sometimes. There's just that pesky problem of finding those customers.
4: During the last one and a half year, I found out that there isn't a market existing. I mean, we are calling it a market, but it's not a proper market size. I mean, it has to grow a lot more. And I know it's going to be hard for me and for other makers or other importers, but I just want to uh, talk to them that we have to be patient and we have to do something together or individually or whatever until the market grows. So
0: to that point, yeah,
4: to that point. So
0: that it's actually market. Let's keep it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The world over, everyone is continuing to confront the problem of educating their consumer base. Makers have lots of ideas for how to do that, but it takes time and cooperation.
3: I think chocolate, overall, like especially being to bar, is still a very uncharted territory in terms of infrastructure, and there's great potential in terms of becoming something of a specialty food and uh, in order to do that, I think you would need to have different collaborations between different uh, chocolatiers and um, chocolate shops, mintu bar makers and also being able to have space or events where we could uh, invite just commoners as well as people who are knowledgeable in, in cacao and chocolate. It would be nice to have more of a education and tasting club in Korea.
0: Everyone I interviewed for this story expressed a need for cooperation and building this new industry together. But there are very real barriers to developing an association or group for Korean chocolate makers. Historically, Korea has been pushed around and invaded by outside forces. In response to that, they've pushed back and banded together. To push their nation forward, they've had to become the best and expect the most. This ideal is still taught in schools, like the one I teach in, and it's certainly what most Korean chocolate makers were raised with. So, on the one hand, is a desire to band together and to elevate each other's businesses. That's something which all Korean makers I know try to do. But on the other hand, is a desire to be the best of 20 or so makers, in a country whose current fine chocolate market can only support maybe 10. And even worse?
1: One of the biggest confectionery company, they start to using the terms of the Bintuba. So, if you go to ordinary supermarket, you can find some Bintuba chocolate under their names. In that case, many people have confused it. What is this? Maybe this is also Bintuba chocolate, but actually they are not. But how can we do? Because, you know, that there is no any definition of the Bintuba chocolate. So they can use. Yeah. I worry about that.
0: So you think that competition could end up hurting the market as a whole when the market has so much potential to become bigger, the to bar market?
1: Yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, the, okay. So anyway, the competition also, it is uh, another some motivatives to growing market. But the Korean dessert market is not small compared to other Asian country. We cannot compare to, you know, the European or American market. The food and then culture is totally different. But uh, in spite of them, the Korean dessert market is uh, not so small. So we have a potential power of the growing more and more. So I think it's time to not competition. It's time to cooperate each other.
0: When I asked Hanbin for any final remarks after our interview, she had something to add. But her words weren't about the Korean chocolate market, but to them.
2: It's time to consume your money in the right way, in the right chocolate, yeah? Uh, We get fair trade cocoa beans and then the sugar, also fair trade. People should pay in the right way. Yeah. But with your dollars. Yeah, Please. yeah.
0: The South Korea episode has been three years in the making. Misconceptions about Asian chocolate and cacao were actually a big part of why I started this podcast and why I started writing chocolate travel guides on my site. Chocolate and cacao have very short but powerful histories in most every country of the world. In some countries, that history is thousands of years old. The struggles of chocolate makers and cacao farmers over the years can reveal so much more about the places and their histories than we might even realize. And I can't wait to share more of these stories in Season 2 of Chocolate on the Road. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share it in any way you see fit. Your support puts a smile on my face during some extremely late nights. As I mentioned earlier, this was the last episode in Season 1. We'll be back on August 7th with the first episode of Season 2 and some distinctive guests. So for the interim period of July, please enjoy weekly extended interviews. Each week of July, I'll release the full version of an interview I did for Season 1, with a super secret snake peek at Season 2 thrown in there at the end. A huge thank you to all of my guests for this episode, Eddie, Hanbin, Dan, and Jason. To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes of this episode at the link in the description or on my website at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road.